Speaking of social media mistakes, this is our first day to be Facebook Live, so hopefully today is not one of them. <laughs> it's interesting though, ironically, I have a super odd struggle with social media. I think I was born possibly one or two years too late for it to be an effortless part of my life. It's a very uphill part of of uh, who I am. I want to be very good at it, but I get a failing grade, I'm afraid. I do think it's important for me to be very fluent in social media and be helpful. I think it's gonna help me pastor a city better and connect the people a little bit better, but I am pretty stinky at it. I have to grow. Um, this is actually one of Chris Harris's special labors of love towards me, is to help me not be so cruddy on social media. You know, I was joking with him just the other day um, that I've taken one selfie in my life, and it was with my mom. <laughs> I went back in my time. I've actually taken more than one, but that's closer to being true than it is to being false, right? I took like one with my son, and that's pretty much it. It's just something that I really struggle with. I have a lot to learn there. I'm like that not-so-athletic kid that gets picked last for whatever sport to do poorly, to have everyone pat me on the back and tell me that it is okay because I can always be good at other things in life. So when I comment, or when I post, or when I even like, it is an uphill charge. It takes a lot of conscious effort for me, it takes all of my will poured into that one moment, which makes me really jealous, because I see some of you guys on social media, and you are awesome at it. Always with the funny joke, always with the quippy little comeback, always so fast, too. Great pictures. You know, your pictures, they're, they're like taken at the perfect time, and then they're timeless all at the same time. I mean, it's just amazing to watch you guys. Just wanna throw my arms up and say, I can't do this. I'm not gifted to do this. You have just this gift of making your normal look so very exciting. I think I have a different struggle than most. I, I've been talking to a lot of people who are wanting to retreat away from social media and take a hiatus or a little bit of a sabbatical. I need to step into it a lot more than I have. Either way, social media is a pretty big lightning rod, right? I mean, have you been on it in the last couple days? There's a lot there. I think a lot of the problem that people like me or maybe even people like you bump into whenever it comes to any kind of social media venue is just that we live in a culture of comparison. It's so easy to compare our lives with the people that we're seeing because social media does a really good job of highlighting our best angles, right? taking our best moments and lifting them up against all of the normal life that is usually there. That's what I find. It doesn't really discuss what we look like the other moments, the, the more common routines. So the truth, I believe, is, is that what you see online is not really reality. I'm not saying it's a lie. I'm just saying it's not your normal, right? That picture you saw of the meal, they don't eat meals like that every day, right? The cute pictures of their kids on the first day of school, their kids don't look like that every day. Their kids aren't even cute like that every day. They're not even funny every day. That person cannot do 50 burpees while their bro holds the phone every single day. Their hair does not look good like that every single day. That witty joke that got so viral all of a sudden, they didn't even come up with that, right? That prank that went off without a hitch, you didn't see the other 99 that did not. That political rant that they posted and they were so courageous about it, they will delete that after it gets trolled enough times. It's not reality. I, I'm not saying it's a lie. I'm just saying it's not their normal. And in that way, it's, it's really not reality. 
might be real, but it's not reality. I don't think living in Jesus, I don't think being a Christian makes this easier. I think it makes it harder. Because on top of comparing our boring, normal lives with someone else's brand new haircut and their brand new tattoo and the meal they cooked under $10 and the coffee table they made out of pallet wood or the box jump that they did that's like this haul, it's just too, too ridiculous to even think about doing. On top of that being so out of reach, we start to see the fruit and the results of Christian lives that don't really match up with ours, right? We also start to see the struggles of other Christians that also don't really line up and match ours. We think to ourselves, why can't my life look like that? What? I mean, they always have the perfect verse. They're always retweeting or sharing just the right article. They're always saying that they dug something out of their devotional life. Why can't I be like that? They always seem to do and say the right thing every time I'm around or see them, right? And, and why am I getting pruned? And why am I being afflicted so much more than they are? I mean, here they're making the biggest deal out of their nightmare. But when you compare it to my nightmare, it's kind of a joke. Why them and not me? And then why me and not them? See, we compare even as Christians, it's very easy to compare. So today we get to see Jesus bring a metaphor on how he handles fruit and how he handles pruning as a great gardener. And what this platforms for you and me today is the timelessness of the gospel, the timelessness of God's good word for us. Because this is the passage we're going through today as we continue through our series called Hero, this passage that we go through today was written and spoken a long time before social media ever came about, but not before comparison was around. Comparison was already very thick. So turning your Bibles to John 15, and that's where we're going to be where we pick up our work in the book of John. John 15, I'm going to start in verse 1. And we're going to go on through to about verse 11, and then we're going to pause. This is the word of the Lord for us today, very clear to show us who God is, who we are, and what we do in response. The Bible says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, let's pause just for a second because there's a lot going on here. I mean, so Jesus is using this picture of a gardener handling both productive and unproductive fruit vines. Okay, that's what we're seeing. 
And he's teaching them something very careful this morning. He's actually teaching you and me as well. Don't be fooled into thinking that this is a vintage or archaic verse that probably meant something very brilliant for them where the coin just dropped and they just understood things clearly. Understand, he's doing that with you today. He's speaking to you and to me today in this passage. And in what amounts to probably only being a few hours from him hanging on the cross, you could tell he is using his words much more measurably. He's being careful. Yet with as careful and as measured as he is speaking to his disciples, we see one word used 11 times in 18 verses. That's the word abide. Abide is the key word in this passage. It's actually the key theme. To abide. It means what it sounds like it means. To remain. To rest. To stay connected to. To be at peace and anchored in. Now, we abide in in different ways. We can abide by meditating over the word of God, by reading his beautiful passages to us. We can abide by journaling, by writing down our prayers and our self-reflections. We can abide by prayer. We can abide just by rest. We can abide in many ways, but it is where we remain connected over solid time with the king and the author of our own lives. That's what it means. That's that's the goal of this passage. Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, but bearing fruit is not the goal as much as abiding. Abiding will produce fruit. So he's telling them to do that. You know, when we do not abide and produce fruit as Christians, yet we try to keep up with all the other fruitful Christians we see around us, whether it's here at church on a service or, or maybe online, we can only keep up by faking it. If we can't produce it on our own, and we're not seeing fruit and results in our life, but we see everyone around us developing a lifestyle of fruit, and we want to keep it, all we can do is fake it. It's like plastic fruit. It looks like plastic fruit, and we're pretty good at this. You know, when I was in college, I worked in one of my dad's restaurants, and I remember being in a photo shoot, right? Not for me being in a photo shoot, but food being in a photo shoot. We brought over a professional photographer to take pictures of a sandwich. Sounds easy, not so easy, because you don't really use real food. I don't know if you knew that or not, right? I mean, when I was done watching them prop up and perfectly position what would be hot and what would be cold, it wasn't anything that you could eat. That's the way it is with fake food and photography. I don't know if you knew about this, but whenever you go into a restaurant and you see a dessert tray, that's not real food. Don't like stick your finger in there and and go for it. You're going to get like a finger of butter or mashed potatoes. That's not ice cream, right? It's fake food. In fact, I tripped on this, this project. It's a photo project really by a food stylist named Jack Sargison. He had a project called Faking It, and he shows the secret of food prep for photography purposes. I don't know if they're going to translate as well on the screen. Okay, they little, a little bit. So you see right there, the grapes, I don't know if you can see the fishing line that's holding those grapes in, in such a, a rigid manner, and you can barely see the toothpicks that are holding it, but they take that baby powder, and they, they basically hit it above the grapes, and it kind of rains down and puts that powdery glow on the grapes. You can't eat those grapes. I mean, you can, but you're going to be eating baby powder. You see how that is? And you, you see that, that what looks to be champagne? That's actually soy sauce and seltzer water right there. Don't drink that. It's fake, right? Go to the next one. Go to the next one. This is one of my favorites. Okay, what looks to be like a tiramisu <laughs> is not. 
The cake part of that is actually a blended up Nerf football that they put with a proprietary resin inside of a mold and out comes what looks to be cake. And that's actually shaving cream, not whipped cream on top because the heat from the lamps kind of cooks it up pretty good so they need it to hold. The, The way they got that color, spray paint. That's a spray painted Nerf football with shaving cream on it. But it looks just like tiramisu, does it not? Go to the next one, this one's my favorite. Oh yeah, right? The way they get the glistening look on the carrots right there is hairspray. Aquanet all over that stuff. It looks like it came out of a saute pan. Did not. Did not. Look how they made the, the meat look so marbled. That is shoe polish that they wiped on side of that cold meat. That is motor oil on top of it to make it look like it. But it looks good, doesn't it? Don't eat it, though. I'm telling you, don't eat that. You see, there is an industry for food replication. There are companies all over the country that make fake food and they'll sell it for about 100, 150 bucks a little, a little thing and they'll send it out so that you don't have to keep putting the real stuff out as a restaurant owner over time, right? You know what the, what the, biggest, what the biggest profit margin is and what, what one of the biggest items that they sell? Fruit, fake fruit. Why? Because real fruit's expensive. I think there's a commentary in that for us today. To get real fruit, It will not come easy. It will come with a cost. Jesus says it comes when we abide. You see, here are the big problems whenever we slam into a text like this or it slams into us. One is that we look around and we see what is valuable in the Christian kingdom. We see what fruit rises to the top and gets all the attention. And when we don't feel like we have anything close to it, we try to mimic it or copy it. And we, we, we know that we're faking it and we don't feel good inside about it. We just feel fake, right? And it makes us uncomfortable even in our surroundings. That's just one problem. That's one problem. The other big problem that we slam into is we misunderstand the gardener when we're being pruned. We misunderstand what his hand is up to. Jesus is telling us bearing fruit is not a fast process. It requires much abiding, like growing any fruit. It doesn't happen immediately. Think about patience and gentleness and self-control. For all of you that have that down pat, did that come overnight? No, it didn't. I, was refl- I had a good day the other day when I was driving. That's why I was able to reflect on this because I don't always have good days when I'm driving. But for me, for the longest time, if I found a teenager in front of me scrolling through their Twitter feed and the light goes from red to green and they're not Johnny on the spot to hit the gas, I feel like the whole cosmos is gonna come in on itself, you know? I just go nuts, I go nuts. I just kinda do a a decline press on the steering wheel, just meh. They've already woke up and they're halfway through their left turn and I'm still on the horn because I wanna let them know how extra upset I am, right? But as I abide in Jesus, I realize, because the Bible tells me, And Jesus shows me how gentle he is with me, how patient he is with me, how high his self-control is when I have my head down, when my head should be up. And it helps me. And it produces a fruit that looks a lot like patience. So a couple weeks later, same situation. Light turns green. They're not moving. Whatever reason, I don't know why. I don't go to laying on the horn. I just give it a couple like bop, 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 bop. Where, where, if you heard it, it might be funny. You might think, hey, he's being funny. Hey, thanks. 
I'm not really. In my heart, I'm still mad at you. So, but but I, I, I'm not so mad that I'm laying on the horn. You know, I'm not, I'm not just like going Hulk smash on the horn. I'm just, bop, 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 bop. But, but I've got this stern look on my face. And then Jesus continually reminds me how patient he is with me, evidenced in the cross, evidenced in my ongoing, on my ongoing growth and sanctification. I get to a place where the light turns green, and they're not moving, and it's just a boop, just a little tap and a little wave, like, hey, gotcha, smile on my face. Why? Because after a lot of abiding, I realize I could worship Jesus right there sitting on Cedar Bluff at a red light. I could worship Jesus. I could look like Jesus. Just a tap, right? I might not do that tomorrow. Don't hold that or judge me by that. But the other day I did it. You see, real fruit is expensive. I've been in church planting long enough, and I've started enough campus ministries over the last almost 20 years to see a lot of families relocate and go through really hard things. And I, I started using this way of counseling them through it or helping them through it. And it sounds a lot like if you want a good testimony, it will have a great price tag. There is no such thing as a swell testimony that came for free. So whenever you're watching someone on YouTube or you bump into somebody and you hear where they're at in life or you see what they have done and you're like, whoa, I am so amazed at this. I want to be just like that person. Did you hear that testimony? Also ask them the backstory. Ask them to describe to you all the dark nights of the soul they went through before they got to where they're at right now. All the abiding, the long, solid time. You want a good story? They don't come cheap. Real fruit is expensive. It can be faked, of course. It can be faked, but you will be unsatisfied. You will feel empty. This is why group prayer looks like group prayer sometimes. I think you know what I mean before I even describe it, right? You get four or five people in a moment where they're all praying together, and you can almost peg who's going to pray like what. You've, you've got the, the guy who's just a brand new Christian, so they keep, it, they keep it short, don't they? Like one, two sentences, they're out, because they, they, don't, they don't really know what to say, and they don't want to say something wrong. So they're like, Jesus, thank you for this day. Pray we all have a good day and remember you. Amen. Not a bad prayer. Then you get the person that's not really sure what they say, and they're kind of antsy, so they say Father God like 32 times. Father God, yes, Father God, I'm so happy to be here, Father God. And they just, they, they just fill the air because they're so nervous. But isn't there sometimes a person in there that's not really praying to God, but they're praying to you in such a way that they're communicating to you, it's for your ears, not for the Lord's? Maybe that's you. Maybe you do that. We can do that. A lot of times when people are struggling in group prayer settings, it's because they struggle even more when they're alone and in prayer. It's not coming from a place of security. It's not coming from a place of peace. It's fake fruit. It's fake fruit. You see, I think the most common interpretation, and I think the most accurate one in the passage that we read, describes fruit in such a way that Paul does in Galatians 5.22. Right? So we'll put this up on the screen because I want you to stay where you're at in John. But in Galatians, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and we've heard this, is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when we abide in Jesus, these fruits, they all kind of grow at the same time. It's symmetrical growth. Think less, 
I grow in this one little category, but not the others. And think more, I'm growing overall holistically across the board, because that's realistically what this is getting across. That's the fruit. That, it's, it's really, it's, it's impossible to say, you know what? I mean, I am crushing it when it comes to joy, but self-control, I need to work on that a little bit. Like we have one big piece of fruit over here and everything else is kind of just zeroed out. That's not the way that this is to be read. These fruits, they all cooperate. You can't be good at self-control unless you understand that you're also growing in patience. And love does come with joy, which gives birth to a level of peace. They all buttress each other. They all connect to each other, and we holistically grow together. That's the idea behind this passage. The idea of fruit is this quiet and natural and peaceful produce of the inner life as we are connected to the king. And the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. I mean, you've been around people, right? I mean, you've been around people where you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know that's a guy or that's a girl that they abide in Jesus. You could almost just sense it, smell the, 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 the long amount of time that they spend on their knees praying. It's the person that you know when they say, I'll be praying for you. You know that they will. You know that if you have any questions about the Bible, that's probably the person you want to ask. You just sense that they abide. They drop anchor. They remain. They stay connected. There's just something about those people. We could, we could tell from a mile away, can't we? You see, this fruit that you're noticing in those people is the practical expression of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. And it just comes by being connected and staying connected in Jesus. It's just putting yourself in a place where you can grow. You know, bearing fruit for our good and for his glory, that's why you're walking the earth. If you're not bearing fruit, your life is pretty much useless. That's what this is saying. I'm going to be very careful here. I'm not going to say what, it, what it's not saying, but I'm going to tell you what it is saying. Okay? Bearing fruit for our good and for his glory, that is our purpose. That is why we live and breathe. Not abiding, not bearing fruit makes us useless. You see, that's why he talks of a gardener gathering useless branches and burning them. That's not a salvation statement. It's not talking about losing your salvation. I know some of you worry about that when you read this passage. That's not what he's saying, right? That would dishonor the context and it would be to inject a theology into this passage that doesn't, it's not a correct theology. Once we're redeemed, we're always redeemed. Once you're adopted into family, you stay in family. Once you're broke free from prison, you are forever free. Once you're brought out of spiritual death, you're forever alive. Those cannot be run back on, right? So this is not talking about losing salvation. It's talking about becoming useless. It just simply teaches that when you do not abide, you become good for absolutely nothing. We actually see this in Matthew 5 as well. It's not going to be on the screen, but we see Jesus teaching and saying something like, you're the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? Except to just be tossed around and walked on. It's not good for anything. You see, these branches, these vines that's being discussed in this passage in John, they weren't really good for anything besides bearing fruit or being burned. You couldn't build with it. It's not like pallet wood or driftwood. You're starting to see a lot of reclamation art where you're like, wow, that's a totally useless piece of trash. I'm going to make a coffee table out of it or something like that, and you do it. It's, this, this wood is not like that. You can't do that. 
It's all twisty and weak and flimsy. It can't be used for anything except for bearing fruit like it was designed to do or for burning. Starting fire, just kindling. That's why he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not bearing fruit and abiding in me, you're not doing anything. But we try. We try to produce fake fruit. And we still find ourselves to feel a little bit useless. I mean, try to be patient and gentle with teenagers or crummy coworkers when you don't have the spiritual fruits of being patient and gentle and good. Right? What does that end up looking like? Passive aggressiveness. That's just a fake fruit. I'm going to smile. I'm going to screw a smile into my face. I'm going to put up with whatever you say. But behind you, I'm going to take jabs. On social media, I might even take jabs. I don't like what you are doing. I don't like what you were saying. I'm not going to be patient and gentle. I'm just going to look like it right now, but you got yours coming later on. It's fake fruit. It's totally useless. Totally useless. I think one of the biggest problems we have is in our up-tempo culture, abiding, it sounds a whole lot like stopping. We're slowing down. Or maybe wasting time. It feels like that, so we automatically struggle with it. We want to produce good fruit, but we want to do so without abiding, without resting, without remaining. We want to produce good fruit, but we don't want to pay that ultimate price. I don't want to pay that price. I just want the goods. So I think the ultimate sin beneath the sin is that we just don't believe God's presence is even worth slowing down for. I think one of the sins behind the sins is that we don't believe that God's presence is even worth trusting. We think we can get fruit our own way without change happening to our soul, without the work of the Holy Spirit moving on us. We can just produce our own fruit. And that we do, it's just plastic and it's useless. All right. Now on the flip side, we not only distrust abiding in the vine for its fruit, not only is that a struggle for us, we also don't trust the gardener that's pruning us. We view pruning as bad news because it hurts and it always feels kind of illogical. Whenever you see yourself getting pruned or someone around you getting pruned, we always imagine 10 different ways that that could have gone down besides the way that God allowed that to go down, right? I mean, true. I mean, the last time you, you saw someone you loved be pruned, you did not say, great job, God. I mean, that's what I was thinking, too. I mean, all they do is great things. It's like the most peaceful guy I know. He's like a prayer warrior. He's always encouraging me. He's got fruits of the Spirit all over him. And you bring a car wreck, and he loses his job. Great job. Great job. I'm on board. We don't do that. We say, what are you doing? Why would you do that to, th Why would you do that to me? Why would you prune me like that? I mean, I've got results in my life. I'm changing. And you took that away? You know, I think the sin underneath the sin in this is we just don't trust that God is wise. We're loving in his care of us. That pruning hook, we mistake it. We see punishment and hate, senselessness. So Jesus speaks to this. While people are probably cutting the wood to hang him on in town, He's speaking to this right now. And for him, this is more than just an illustration or a metaphor. Jesus is the one who knew how to abide. He showed us what the perfect life lived. He knew how to abide. He was ultimately pruned 
to bear good fruit. We're going to pick this up in John 15, verse 12. We're going to pick up our passage, so go right back to where you're at. John 15, verse 12. He says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So Jesus shows us that the greatest love ever shown is by him laying down his life, not just for friends, by the way, but for enemies. He laid down his life for enemies, and this was a spirit-driven action coming after a life full of abiding in his Father that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, that gave way to pruning and bore much fruit. I mean, Jesus engages the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that is in you, the same Holy Spirit that is in me. Jesus introduces himself, and I think this is key in this text. I think it's in the very first passage, maybe the first or the second, where he introduces himself as the true vine. Did you guys catch that? I'm not gonna say it was a jab, but I will say it stopped traffic. Okay, because Israel had always, the nation, had always been known as God's vine. You'll find it in Isaiah. You'll find it in Ezekiel. Always known as God's people who should be producing fruit. In fact, if you look in some of the old currency back then, during this time, there'll be a vine stamped into some of their currency. That was just their symbols, who they were, right? Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. Coming because you guys could never produce anything with all of your good works and all of your perfect behavior. You couldn't produce anything and bring anything to the table, so I'm going to come and produce what you could not. I'm going to come and bear fruit where you couldn't. Friends, this is a gospel declaration. All we see is the words true vine, and just in that little bit, it's a great gospel declaration. He's saying you guys are habitual failures, historical failures, so I will come. I will come, and I will bear fruit I will bear fruit by abiding in my Father. I will live by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just good news for them. This is good news for you. This is really good news for us. Because I'm a habitual failure. And I'm a historical failure who struggles to bring any... My fruit's all deformed looking. But he comes and he brings what I cannot. And in that I can rest You see, Jesus ultimately was pruned by God for God-haters. But what he brings forth in fruit is the budding church of Christ. It's us here, connected to each other. I mean, the cross is the ultimate pruning to bear the ultimate fruit. This is more than just a metaphor for him. And this fruit it's not for self-gratification either. It's outward bound. The fruit that we're talking about in this passage and in Galatians and by the gospel's expression is outward bound. It's not so that you can follow just Galatians 5.22 and go, yep, check, crushing it here. I'm you know, self-restrained. I've got goodness and gentleness. I'm doing great. It's not so that you can feel like less of a loser. Those fruits of the Spirit are outward in expression 
to show others and bless others by what Jesus would look like. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are the fruit of this. And it was outward bound. You know, you and me being drawn to God, you and me being drawn to each other is God's fruit. We are the treasured and redeemed church of God. This is where there ought to be a struggle for some of you. Whenever you bump into Christians, or we'll just say lovers of Jesus, who like Jesus, who indulge in Jesus, but they hate the church. And we all know them. They're all over Facebook watching right now, probably doing this, right? Because there's some sort, it's a fad still to have some sort of noble revolt against all the injustices of the church. They're just so hyper-spiritual, they won't have anything to do with the church. It's a gross mishandling of the gospel. Jesus was pruned to bear fruit, which ends up being a very flawed and fractured bride, certainly, but a God-breathed church. We're his bride. Jesus was pruned and crushed to win a people, and that is you, And that is me. And now today, we walk as he walked. We walk as he did. We reflect God in the same manner. We grow by abiding and remaining and therefore bearing fruit. That's how this works. And yes, your path will be different than the person next to you. Comparison can stop. You don't have to feel above people. You don't have to feel below them. We bear fruit at different paces. We're pruned at different paces. Your path will be different than the person next to you, but what the gospel says is you can be satisfied. When you abide in Jesus, you will grow at a certain rate, and you can be satisfied in him, because even when you fail to grow, he doesn't fail to love you. The magnitude of his love for you doesn't change one bit. You're free. I've said this up here several times. You're free to fail to bear fruit. You're free but you're also free to bear great fruit. You are free to abide and stop bearing fake fruit. You're free for all of this. Sure, your life isn't gonna look like someone else's. They're probably gonna grow faster than you. Some people are probably growing slower than you, and the next year it'll be reversed, because that's the way it is a lot of times, right? And this should never make you feel better than them or worse than them, because your fruit is not for your own glory. It's for God's glory. Your fruit isn't to fool others, it's to feed others. It's to lean into others. That's how we're called to walk. Now on the flip side of this, your pruning also isn't going to feel like everybody else is pruning. They're going to get cut differently than you're going to get cut. This is a big struggle for people. God will cut some things away from me this year. Certainly going to get pruned this year. I know that. I know it's not because he hates me. He's not looking to just stick it to me to pound on me, to prove something to me. He might not even be doing it just to teach me. That's kind of the thing we fill in the blank, right? I'm only going through this because he's trying to teach me something. No, you might be going through that because he's pruning you to bear more fruit. In this passage, the pruning is not a discipline of sorts as it is an empowering and an equipping to bear more fruit. That's what the context leads us to see. So every cut is for my good and for his glory. Every cut, every touch of the knife, every single cut is for my good and it is for his glory. Being pruned does not mean that you're being punished. So whenever God is pruning you, you don't have to immediately think, I must not have it dialed in. He's sticking it to me. i got to figure out what to do to change this. Sometimes it's going to come because you are producing fruit 
And he's going to lead you to a place where you're producing more, and that will glorify him, but you will find more enjoyment there as well. Ultimately, that's where your soul belongs, and he loves you so much he's going to lead you right there, right? I love how Kent, Kent Hughes says that he's a pastor here in the Deep South. He says, the hand is never closer than when it's pruning. He's right there when he feels far, and when he is done, there isn't much left but Christ. I like that. You know, some of you have been pruned so much, you have scars, It's actually kind of making it to where you're pushing away from him. It's driving a wedge in that intimacy because you've been pruned so much. And I'm telling you, that is a misunderstanding of what God is up to in this moment. I have grown not in my easiest seasons, but in my toughest seasons. That's when I've grown the most. As I said earlier, the best testimonies I've been able to bring to bear on the lives of those around me who are struggling, they came at a great price tag. Great price tag. At a time where I might not have understood what that pruning hook was doing. Now, even though I know that my best growth happens in those tough seasons, you're not necessarily going to find me cutting in line to get back into that suffering mode of pruning and affliction. Not really doing that. But at least I can look back and say, yeah, that hurt. But I'm better now for it. I enjoy Jesus more now. I'm pretty sure I glorified him, if not now, then I do now. I I think I'm better off. Then I might even sound, on a good day, like Job. Though you slay me, yet I will worship you. Though you prune me, I will enjoy you. I will abide in you. Let me encourage some of you right now who are being pruned. Pruning is good for you. Abide. Anchor yourself. Rest and remain in Jesus as he is pruning you, as God himself is pruning you to bear more fruit. You're not in a bad place. You're in a good place. It is an exercise of his love for you. Luke, how do you know that's love? Because he did it to his own son as an expression of love. Right? See, all our growth, it comes from being close to him. All our growth, it comes from remaining in him and not despising the tools of his gardening in our life. I think this is what we see in James. We'll put this up on the screen, but stay where you're at. James, in the very first chapter, he says something that we've all read a bunch. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're seeing this word producing. I want you to imagine the fruit, right? Faith steadfastness, long-suffering. We see these things as fruits of the Spirit working in us. He says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if you're confused of your pruning experience, God will show you. He will lead you. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously all to, or to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, your story is your story. Stop comparing. Stop comparing your wins to everybody else's. Stop comparing your your hits to everybody else's. Stop comparing. Stop feeling like those around you are better than you, and stop feeling like those around you are less than you. Just stop being self-fascinated. Stop judging their light affliction against your nightmare. Stop comparing their fruit with your fruit. Stop just bringing plastic fruit to bear 
and feeling empty and weak and fake inside. Stop all of that. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read something to you. This has been helpful to me over the years. John Newton wrote hymns. One hymn he wrote, and this is a guy, John Newton, he knew that we would never be overpruned. That'll never happen. He wrote a hymn, and I'm going to read it in poem for it because I'm not, I'm not going to sing it. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow. That's the name of this hymn. I ask the Lord that I might grow. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. It was he who taught me how to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my requests, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woes, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Why or will you pursue this worm to death? It's in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. It's by pruning. The very things we ask for. I want to trust more. I want to love more. I want to be more peaceful. I want to be more patient. I want to have more self-control. I want to be good. I want to be gentle. We pray for those things. What are we praying for? That we bear fruit. How does that come to fruition? Through great pruning. Through great pruning. Some of you are in here and you are wondering, am I bearing fruit? Am I being useful? That might be a conversation that you have with the person next to you as well as you meditating on it with your own life. But I don't want you to just focus on, am I being useful? Like, am I leading people to Jesus? Am I giving a lot of money to the church? Am I volunteering and showing up to things? That, that's, that's a kind of fruit. I want you to focus, am I being peaceful, loving, joyous? Am I content? That's the fruit we're looking for. And some of you might ask yourself the question, am I being pruned? And that's just a question of, am I trusting the gardener that is ever so loving of me and wise? You see, we're about to have music, and we're going to see stuff up on the screen, and we'll be able to read along as they lead us in worship, but we'll also have communion tables back there that you can go in. That is an emblem of God's pruning power on the Son of God, on Jesus. So we see the effects, the fruit of his passion for us. So as you take the bread, as you take the juice, and you reminisce over the gospel and where it's leading us, ask yourself the questions. Am I being fruitful in the proper sense of the term? Am I being fruitful? And am I being pruned? And have a conversation with the Lord regarding those questions. Also consider repenting for those sins beneath the sins, not trusting God to grow as we abide, not trusting that his pruning hook is wise and loving. Some of us, we've created a distance, a pocket of space between us and the Lord because we don't trust him. We're being pruned and we don't like it and that's it, we're done with him. We're not abiding, we're faking. Right? And then for some of you in here who are far from Jesus and might not be in love with Jesus, 
I just want to remind you of that beautiful passage in here that shows he laid down his life, not just for friends, but for enemies. For enemies. If you don't love Jesus, you entered this room as an enemy. But we see in this passage that trusting Jesus over your own life makes you a friend. It draws you close. It puts you in a place not of serving him by following a bunch of new rules, but being intimate with him as a son or a daughter of the king. You entered his enemies, but you could leave his intimate friends, finding a place of abiding presence where the Holy Spirit creates fruit through you. That could happen. That could happen. That's a conversation also with Jesus that you could have today. We'd encourage you not to go back and take communion, but just stand steady and take Jesus. Gush, pray, cry, stumble over your words, but open up your heart. Open up your heart. Throw your life down at the king's feet. Say, I belong to you. I love how the very, 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 very end of this book, it's where we started actually several weeks ago, John says that he wrote these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what I pray for you this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we believe your word over our hearts. We believe that what you say is true, and in that we have life and joy and peace. You have told us that you, you bring peace. Not, not a peace that we totally understand, but your peace you give to us a new peace. And I pray that as we worship you, we have an ability to hear you clearly, that you'd speak to our hearts. Show us, Father, where we're not abiding. Show us why we don't abide. Help us see our lack of fruit. Help us see the pruning that's going on. Lord, but I pray above all things that we would be a church that our hearts are endeared towards you today, that we would see you as wise, loving, gentle, even in the hard moments, because that's what we see on the cross. We see wise, loving, and gentle. You're so good to us. You're so kind. And it's in your name that we pray, in your name that we take communion, in your name that we give finances, in your name that we sing, in your name that we meet each other. It is in your name that we do all of these things in a worshipful attitude. Amen.